Have you uh, ever been strapped into a roller coaster before and for a split second had the thought of like, who's in control of this thing? And really quickly realized it wasn't you, right? When you get into a roller coaster, as soon as that, that lap bar comes on, that shoulder harness goes over, no longer are you in control, but somebody else is in control. And, uh, and I love, personally, I love roller coasters. Like, I enjoy them, but I also personally like being in control, all right? Uh, you can just ask my wife, there's a reason why I drive everywhere we go and we're in the car together. There's just some type of control issue over some things that I've gotten. But I, I enjoy not being in control when I'm on a roller coaster, and so I've told you about the spring break trips that uh, myself and friends would do uh, down to California to go to Six Flags down in Santa Clarita, which we felt had better roller coasters than the Six Flags in Vallejo. And so we would bypass Vallejo and go all the way down to Santa Clarita, California, down by the L.A. area. And we would go down there and have these great trips uh, at, at, and going on these roller coasters. Well, about a month ago, I got a phone call from my little brother. And he calls me up, and he's like, uh, guess, guess where I'm at? And I said, anywhere in the world, I got no idea. Hey, he's like, we're at Six Flags. He was down celebrating um, his son's 16th birthday, and so they were down celebrating, and he's like, dude, check this out. And so he FaceTimes me. He FaceTimes me, and they're at this ride down at Six Flags Santa Clarita called Tatsu. And it was one of our favorite rides. It was one of the rides that we would go on over and over again because it was just so fun. What's unique about this ride is you would sit in it like a regular roller coaster. It's got the loops, so you have the shoulder harness to hold you in and all that stuff. But as soon as you get sat down and you're locked up, ready to go, all of a sudden the ride that has you seated like this does one of these. And it pivots you where you're just facing the ground at what feels like a free fall because it's got this big old kite thing and you felt like you were flying through the air. And, and so one of the cool things about this ride is at the end, there was this giant loop that they said had about one G of force. And so you're like, oh, cool, a G of force. And you're really excited. And uh, so he calls me. He's like, guess what? We're here and there's nobody here. And so he, he's talking to me. He pulls up his FaceTime and, and he shows me that there's literally nobody in line. He's like, we've been on this three or four times already. And that was my favorite part about going down when we went down during spring break in Oregon is that California had already done their spring break and so it wasn't very busy. And so we would get to ride these rides over and over and over again. But there was something, there is something about being not in control that's a challenge for many people. Some people don't like roller coasters for that very reason. They don't like the fact that they can't be in control, right? In life, life can be incredibly terrifying uh, when we don't have control. There's something innate within us that just has this desire to be in control in our lives. And in one sense, we don't have control. Like We have no control over the trials, the troubles, the things that, that come our way. But we do have control over the fact that we can put up boundaries in our life. We do have control uh, that, of the, the fact that, that the Holy Spirit, for those of us that have said yes to a relationship with Jesus, have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that gives us some control over things. And, and because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, our, our spiritual life, our thought life, they don't have to be a roller coaster. Because of Jesus, we don't have to live life on a roller coaster. We can experience victory. We have the ability, as the title of the message is today, to be in control. We can be in control. We're wrapping up our series today called When Anxiety Attacks. When Anxiety Attacks. And 
And in week one of the series, we kind of set the stage for this series. We set the foundation for all of it and, and how we can overcome or at least begin to manage some of the anxieties that come in our lives. We all face anxiety at different levels, but there are things that we can do to help manage the anxieties we face. And we said in week one that, that it's important for us to manage our thoughts because it really starts with our thoughts and, and the way that we think, the things that we think. And we said, what we think shapes what we become. What we think, that the thoughts that we have, they shape what we become. And so because of that, we talked about how the devil is the great deceiver. He feeds lies into us to get us to believe things about ourselves, about situations that aren't necessarily true. And so we said we need to identify and remove the lies and replace the lies with truth, with the truth of God's word. And then in week two of this series, we talked about the, the challenges that we face when we don't take control of our thought life and, and the challenges that come from that. And, and we said in, in week two that, 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 uh, that our anxiety is not our identity. We said that, that anxiety isn't who we are. Anxiety is a feeling. It's an emotion that, that we have. It's not who we are. And so we looked at 19 different passages in scripture that identified as God's word and, and who we are as God's children. And then last week we talked about boundaries. We, we talked about the idea that setting boundaries in our lives is one of the most important things that we can do for our mental and for our relational health. We said last week that boundaries are beneficial. They, they protect you. They keep you safe. They, they, keep, they give you freedom. And so we talked about this idea last week that Jesus walks alongside us. He's yoked together with us so that we don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders by ourselves. We've got Jesus walking alongside us, helping to balance out that load and we, we said that we don't need to feel guilty about setting boundaries. And Jesus, he, he set boundaries in, in his life. And, and so before we go any further, as we kind of recap this series, I just, again, going to share with you, I'm a pastor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a clinical psychologist. So I'm not going to speak to the medical side of it. That's not my expertise. I can only speak to the spiritual side of it. So that's where I'm going to focus is on the spiritual side of all of it. I don't have an MD after my name. I didn't do all the extra coursework to know that stuff. And so that's not my expertise. I won't speak from that. I'm going to speak from the biblical side of it. But when we look at the Bible, the Bible is an incredible book. It's very different than what we see on social media, which can I tell you, social media can be, there are great things about it, but it can be very, very detrimental. You see, when we look at social media, it, it paints this picture of, of people. We see all their accolades. We saw, see all the achievements, all the accomplishments that people have, and, and it can be really challenging for us. It often shows the highlight reels of the individuals that we're looking, <clears throat> excuse me, that we're looking out for. And because it shows these, this, these great things about other people, these highlight reels of others' lives, what happens is anxiety begins to well up in our own life because we don't feel like we measure up. We're not getting enough likes. We don't have enough followers as, as these other people. And, and I want to share with you this, this study that was recently released last week and, and an article that, that Dr. Jean Twenge wrote. She's a professor of psychology at San Diego State and She's known for her work with younger generations. She wrote an article this week titled, Teenage Girls Are in Trouble, and it's time to acknowledge social media's role. That was the title of the article. She says, we should acknowledge that social media must have something to do with why so many teens are miserable. The growth of social media and other technologies in the 2010s radically changed teens' lives. They started spending a lot more time online and less time in person with friends and, with, and, sleeping, uh, and less time sleeping. 
Over the years since 2012, social media platforms became more and more engrossing, with girls fighting for likes and followers on Instagram and Snapchat and being drawn into the powerful algorithms of TikTok. In this article, she referenced a, a CDC uh, report. It's called Youth uh, Risk Behavior Report. And in this report, it showed some staggering statistics about what's happening in our youth today. And she called the report the last straw for researchers like herself who've been sounding the alarm about teen mental health for years and often found them themselves dismissed. She goes on to write in her article, she says, contrary to popular belief, teen girls do not deny that social media plays a role in their misery. In Meta, which is Facebook, in Facebook's internal research on Instagram, leaked in 2021, teens frequently blamed the pressures of social media for their generation's high rates of depression. It says this reaction was unprompted and consistent across all groups, one internal report noted. So why don't girls give up social media, she writes. Partially because the site's algorithms are designed to keep users on the app for as long as possible. And it's even harder for teens to stop giving their develop, given their developmental stage. Many teens have also told me, she writes, that they don't know how. All of their friends use social media so they would feel left out if they didn't use it, despite the negative content that is harming them. There's an incredible thing that's happening in our world, especially evolving social media. There are lies being fed to people through social media, so that's why we need to turn to the truth found in Scripture. We look at the Bible, and the Bible doesn't paint these perfect pictures of all these people. The Bible paints pictures of real people who had great successes but also had some real terrible failures. B.G. White, he explains how he found hope for his anxiety in the Old Testament. He says, unlike some social media profiles that are carefully crafted to present only the best, most exciting, and successful sides of a person, the narratives of the Old Testament reveal a more complete picture. He says, characters are presented with both achievements and frailties. He says, there's Moses, the scared speaker. There's King Ahaz, the desperate monarch. There's Naomi, the bitter mother-in-law. And there, you continue to look through Scripture. There's people like, uh, like Elijah who was greatly depressed. There's people like Jeremiah who is called the weeping prophet. David who is called a man after God's own heart. You read through the Psalms, which David wrote many of them. The Psalms, a lot of them talk about the despair that David was wrestling with. These characters in the Bible, they remove the stigma of anxiety and remind us that God works through broken people. We don't have to be perfect for God to work through us. We have to come to him broken, acknowledging our brokenness, and he can work in the middle of the mess. So I want to look at one of the psalms today that David wrote, Psalm 61. This psalm that David wrote in Psalm 61, it was during a time of, of extreme stress that he was dealing with in life. And here's what it says in verse 1. It says, Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. Scripture, this passage, it informs us, it doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't inform us the exact setting of, of where David's at, but as we look at the text, we know that David is the king of Israel, and we know that he's pretty far from home. 
And whatever pressures David was under, whatever things that he was wrestling with in his life, David knew that he couldn't endure them in his own strength. And so he's crying out to God for the strength of God. He's longing for restoration to God rather than restoration to circumstances. In his song, Misty Morning Rain, uh, Ray LeMontagne, he sings this line that says, Has all of life gone off the rails, torn my sails, and left me drifting? It's an interesting song, but he's lost without love that, that tethers him. And, and there's, for us, there's times in life where, where we feel completely untethered. We feel like a ship out at sea, completely lost. We don't have any wind in our sails. There's no anchor holding us in place. And so we're just moving along. We don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know where we're going. We're just out there floating. And when we're out there in the middle of the ocean floating because we don't know what's going on, anxiety comes in because we're not in control. Uh, we can't control where we end up. We can't control what's going on around us, the waves that are coming in, the storms that come in. We can't control those things. So anxiety can, can begin to, to well up inside of us. And this is where David's at. In Psalm 61, he feels anxious. He's got this, this challenge that he's facing. This psalm is, is an intensely personal psalm. And it's a psalm that we can claim as our own. When we feel like we're losing the anxiety battle in our minds. When, when David, when he, he felt like he could no longer withstand the pressures of life, he cries out to God for help. David's facing serious stress. He's far from home, far from God, and, and he's worn out. And he's hoping for protection from his adversary. The nature of the challenge that David is struggling with in this particular psalm, it's not clearly articulated for us, but the effect that it's having on David is articulated. It wears him out. He comes to this point in his life where he's at despair. And this psalm can be so relatable for you and, and for me because we all need someone bigger than the anxiety we face to give us hope, and safety when we feel overwhelmed. You see, when you feel out of control, remember that God is in control. When you feel out of control, when life is going crazy around you, when you feel like you have no control on what's happening, remember that God is in control. There's a great story in the book of Job where Job is having this conversation with his friends and, and they're talking about some of the challenges he's facing. And, and at one point, Job, he basically says, as author Stan Toller puts it, God, you're not listening. And even if you are, you're not doing much about it. And if we're honest, we feel that way sometimes too. Like, God, I'm crying out to you. I'm asking for your help. And there is no resolve in this situation. I've been crying out, I've been reaching out, I've been praying, and I'm not seeing anything. And it's in those moments where we're crying out and, and not getting what we feel like is any response where what's our nature try to do? We try to come in and take control. But I love God's response to Job when Job's like, God, you're not doing anything. God says in Job 38, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. In this quick, subtle few words, God reminds Job that from the beginning of the world, it was all under his control. From the beginning, 
It was under God's control. And yet too easily, we can often forget this. You see, control, control is about being the boss, right? It's about being in charge. It's about being the decision maker. It's, it's about the, a control factor. Control, it allows the controller to, to get their own way. Control, it, it allows them to get what they want. And when we wrestle with anxiety, it often stems from the future lack of control or from our lack of control over the future. Anxiety can be because can, can of a need to control the what-ifs in life. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this? What if? What if? What if? What if? And we play all these scenarios out in our head. We over-process, over-analyze things. And, and because of these what-ifs, the anxiety begins to well up inside of us. And we begin to struggle. Can I tell you that when you have a need to control the what-ifs in your life, it's a clear sign that God is no longer in control of your life. When you have a need to control the what-ifs, it's a clear sign that God is not in control of your life. You see, no amount of worrying or contemplating is, is going to bring down the inflation pricing. No amount of, of worrying or contemplating is going to cause that excess weight to fall off. No amount of, of worrying or contemplating is going to heal your relationship. You can't control other people's attitudes. You can't control their insecurities. You can't control their lack of boundaries or their behaviors. But Paul writes in the book of Philippians, don't worry. The NIV translation says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience. After you have understood that you don't need to be anxious for anything, you don't need to worry about anything, and you begin to pray about everything, it's in that moment you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. He, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is a charge that, that Paul is giving to the Philippian church. It's a charge that he's giving to you and to me. Be anxious about nothing. Be anxious about nothing. The idea here is that the believer, somebody who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, is not to worry about a single thing. When you look at that word nothing and translate it out, it means not even one thing. Don't worry about even one thing thing. And when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, just to help you contextualize what was happening there, the church in Philippi had a whole lot to be anxious about. They had a whole lot to be stressed out about, to be worried about. They were suffering at the time severe persecution. Uh, they were facing a disturbance in the church. There was significant quarreling that was taking place and disunity. They had some selfish people in the church, members who were prideful, super spiritual, and selfish some of the believers of that church, they were struggling with the necessities of life, things like food, clothing, and shelter. They understood what it was like to be anxious. And Paul says, hey, when you have Jesus, we don't have to be anxious. We don't need to be anxious because we can have the peace of God. There are going to be times in your life when anxiety is going to run high. And we're going to grasp at anything to remain in control and the point of this passage is to show that the answer to worry, the answer to anxiety, 
is a supernatural answer. The answer to worry, the answer to anxiety is the peace of God. When you feel out of control, remember that God is in control. Now, we may not be able to control everything, right? I I get that. But God has given us the ability to control some things because under the Lord's control, you are in control. Under the Lord's control, you are in control. We can take measures to increase our sense of control. And by taking those measures to increase our sense of control, in turn, it will help decrease our senses of anxiety. It's important for us to name the things that we can control, things like our screen time, the things like what time we go to bed, the things like our eating habits, the exercise that we do, our finances, our work ethic. We can control our willingness to connect with friends and to connect with others. We can control how we respond to others. See, when we're intentional with a plan, uh, scheduling time to exercise, scheduling time to hang out with friends, by meal prepping, by budgeting, all of those things are ways that we can take back control in our lives. Remember, it's okay to do less. It's okay to, to stop and to rest. It's okay to prioritize your health. The good news is that God's peace is available for us. We don't have to remain passive victims of anxiety at its mercy without its control. You guys, it is okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. It's okay to not have everything going right, to be struggling with stuff. It's just not okay to stay that way. We have to make changes. Anxiety is one of the most common and treatable issues that brings people into therapy. And the good news is that anxiety disorders, they respond well to different types of counseling, including cognitive and behavioral therapy, things like meditation and lifestyle changes. It's possible to overcome these or to minimize the amount of anxiety we wrestle with. But when we're wrestling with anxiety... When it rises up inside of us, it can feel like an enemy that's chasing after us, an enemy that we're trying to escape. And David, he felt that. He was well acquainted with being chased down by his enemy. He was chased down by King Saul. He was chased down by his own son, Absalom. David was well acquainted with having to run. But he describes God as a refuge as a strong tower, as a place of shelter. When anxiety rushes in in our life, we can run to our safe place. I remember growing up in school, uh, the, the earthquake drills and the emergency drills that we'd have to do in school, right? You have to practice to be prepared in case those things come. And so when we would have earthquake drills in school, we were told to get underneath our desk because that was a safe place for us because if there were a minor earthquake, because we don't get big ones here in Oregon, but if there were a minor earthquake, things would rattle off of the shelves. Maybe some pencils would fall or a couple books, or if it was a larger one, maybe a, a light fixture would fall down. And so you were told to get underneath the desk to, to be in that safe place so it could protect you from the things that were falling around you. Things may seem like they're falling around you right now in your life. But God is our safe place when they do. 
If we're to take that earthquake analogy just a a little bit further, we recognize that there are times in life when the desk isn't going to be enough. When the desk isn't going to be enough to keep us safe. When the earthquake is such a, a big magnitude And it's simplistic to say that Jesus is enough and neglect the nuance of of God's provision of things in our life. I mean, of course, Jesus is all we need, but he also provides for us. He often comes through in in ways like proper mental health care, support from people who are close to us, and other treatments that, that provide what we need when our anxiety is topping the metaphorical Richter scale. It's okay to get extra help when we need it. Church, it's important that we talk openly about our struggles with anxiety because the reality is it's something that we all experience. But we got to talk about it without making others feel shame about it. Anxiety isn't necessarily caused by a lack of faith in God. It's not caused by a subpar prayer life. It's not even caused by a lack of Bible reading. Of course, you look at God's word and it speaks to our our anxious thoughts. Of course, our sin can cause our anxiety, but we shouldn't feel shame or be shamed because anxiety is a real thing in our lives. Life is scary. Life can be unpredictable, and so much lies beyond our control. We have to learn to see God in the midst of our chaos, and that's the key to finding our way through our anxious thoughts, because when we are under the Lord's control, we are in control. And this is why we never give up, as Paul writes. So our bodies are dying. Our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 4. So we don't look at the troubles we can now see. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Control what you can and let everything else go. Control what you can and let everything else go. Choose not to carry the unnecessary baggage because fear of losing control, it only leads to chaos. Allowing God to be our refuge, it means believing that he is sovereign. That word sovereign means he rules all. When we allow God to be our refuge, it means that we believe that he rules everything and that he is good. These are foundational truths for us and that helps us secure our faith even when the world seems upside down, even when anxiety is trying to take over. God's loving kindness toward us helps draw us out of the fear, out of the panic and the anxiety God is our safe place, and he reassures us that it will all be okay. This moment, too, shall pass. Trust and control do not coexist. You can have control, or you can have trust, but you can't have both. What I mean is, you can try and and control your situation yourself, or you can trust that God is in control of your situation. You can't do both of them. You either allow God to control it or you try and do it yourself. You trust God to control it or you control it yourself. Most cars, they have the really cool feature nowadays called cruise control. You find that perfect speed just at the speed limit, right? Because you don't ever go over the speed limit. 
You set that cruise control right at the speed limit, and it just goes. The, the car is incredible how it just adjusts the flow of gas that goes in and out of the engine to make sure that you maintain that proper pace, right? If you're going up a hill, your car adds extra gas in there to make sure that you maintain the speed going up a hill. And if you're going down a hill, it removes the amount of gas to try and keep you at the same speed going down a hill. If you're cruising on a flat land, it keeps that same piece. You're just cruising it. It takes control over what's happening in the car. It's an incredible thing. It stays at the same pace regardless of whatever terrain it's coming up against. In a similar fashion as a Christian, I can move along at an even pace along life's highway. No matter if the road leads into the plains or if the road is traversing through rugged mountains. When the going gets tough, when anxiety tries to rush in, I have strength through every challenge because I know the power of the one in me. Regardless of what's happening around me, I know that I can have joy and peace. When you are under the Lord's control, you are in control. Why is it possible that I can have peace regardless of what's happening around me? Because somewhere on my Christian journey, I chose to give up control and put my life in Christ's control. When you allow Christ to come in and take control, it helps It changes things. I don't have to worry because I placed my life in Christ's control. The question for you today is to think, have you? Have you placed your life in Christ's control? Are you still in your control? Would you pray with me?